This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. This is a bit of a new program on the Surrogacy Podcast because instead of me interviewing um, intended parents and surrogates, I've asked for some people to give me their story whereby they've basically interviewed themselves. It's all in the time of COVID where we're self-isolating. I wanted to give the community an opportunity to keep themselves busy and do something a bit of fun. And so I've asked a few intended parents to share their stories about where they're up to and how they came to um, be pursuing surrogacy. And so in this first interview, it's actually Pat um, interviewing herself and telling us her story about how she came to surrogacy. I'm going to hand over now to Pat. Hello everyone, I'm Pat from Adelaide, married to Thomas. We're intending parents from Adelaide, South Australia. This is our first podcast that we're doing. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone how many times I've rehearsed it, but I think we're doing, I think this is probably the best one that we got to so far. So a little bit about us, we're intending parents and we are just putting it out there to let everyone know a little bit about us and um, for our search for our surrogate and what has brought us to this wonderful world of surrogacy. Um, a little bit about me and my husband, we're completely different, they say opposites attract. He's the introvert, I'm the extrovert. He's quiet, I'm loud. Uh, Thomas doesn't talk much, but when he does, every word he says counts. So I'm just gonna get him to say maybe a few words. He's very, he's not shy, he just doesn't talk much. But he's very, very smart man. Hand it over to you, Huss. Just pretend you're on radio, nobody can see you. All right, hi, my name's Thomas, I'm Pat's husband. Um, we've been together for nearly 20 years now. Uh, my wife and I are thankful that this group is available to allow us to have the opportunity to have our family. We hope that through this uh, podcast, we can offer encouragement and strength to all involved in this wonderful journey. And every, everyone's journey is different though, but um, we all have the same um, ultimate objective. Oh, Thomas, you had me at hello. Wonderful man. So, okay, where do I start? Firstly, my advice is to focus, this is the advice I give myself, is to focus on the result. Focus, focus, focus. Every day, I know it's a hard road and I know a lot of us what we've been through, but I just think, you know, one day we're gonna hold our baby and I just need to focus every day. That's what I say to myself. It's gonna be hard. It's like a difficult mountain that we're gonna climb. But once you get to the top of that mountain, the view is just gonna be ultimately the best view ever. Don't ever doubt this won't happen because it will. It may take time. If you're lucky, it may be just around the corner, but it will happen. And if you doubt yourself, like the good old rule in a shopping centre, the customer is always right. And then when the customer is wrong, refer to rule number one. This is exactly the same. If you ever doubt yourself, go back to what I said in the beginning, focus on the result, because we will all get there. Um, it's, a, it's a journey where all of us, are, we're on the same road. Some of us are in the beginning, some of us are in the middle, and some of us are on the end but we're all wearing the same shoes and we're all speaking the same language because we all understand each other. So my journey, where do I start? I did IVF. Well, firstly, I was probably in my mid thirties and I thought this is a great time. Let's start a family. I'm a woman, I can get pregnant because that's what my body's supposed to do. Um, my body didn't come to that party. So off to IVF we went. I lost count of how many IVF cycles we did. Um, I tried about three, four different IVF specialists. They all had different means of what works best, what medication to put me on. 
and my body was non-respondent to IVF stimulation. So I never got to the point where I had egg pickup or egg collection because my follicles were too small. They needed my follicles to be at a certain millimetre size and I never got to that point. So after about possibly eight, nine years of doing IVF and I lost count. In the end, I'd count how many times we did injections and how many cycles and how many months we had breaks. And in the end, I just stopped counting because it just felt like it was forever. Uh, one of my fertility specialists at Ashford said to me, you need to look for donor egg. And that was like something just slapped me across the face because I thought, I'm a woman, I should be able to have, I should be able to do this, but I can't. So I then changed fertility specialists because I thought, let me get a second opinion. Um, we went to Fertility SA and I had Professor Norman and we just clicked from the word go. He just understood me. I don't know whether it's because I actually have MS, multiple sclerosis, and I'm in a wheelchair. So his wife has MS as well. So I don't know if that's the reason we clicked or I just adored him. Like he was just a grandpa. You just wanted to hug him. And so he helped me. I started the IVF um, process again. And so Eventually, we chose Donor Egg, and I got to. I, I joined Egg Donation Australia, and we met the most wonderful woman who allowed us to start our family, um, Denise, and she's a part of our family now. Um, so we didn't. Uh, Denise did a uh, IVF um, journey with us. She did a cycle, and the first cycle we got 19 eggs, and we. I did a fresh transfer back on would have been I think about October. 2017 I think it was yes in October 2017 we did a fresh cycle and I got pregnant straight away so everything was great we were happy um, did the scan there was a heartbeat so everything was perfect so come to about 19 weeks pregnant my body was struggling a little bit with my MS and I was severely constipated because of all the medication and so then we ended up going into hospital that was uh, that was would have been about 50 days. I don't know, probably about February, March. Yeah, probably about February sometime. I was about 19 weeks pregnant. So went into hospital. I was in hospital for 52 days. And the only problem I had, I was part of a high risk group because I had a problem. The main artery that goes from the placenta to the baby is normally flat. Mine was coiled, which I have been told is perfectly normal in pregnancies. What it does though, it creates low birth weight. So um, the baby's born small. And they said, everyone reassured me that don't worry, once the baby's born, you know, once it starts feeding, they plump up and they get nice and chubby and beautiful. So that is not a problem. So while I was in hospital, every week, once a week, every Thursday, I was having a scan. So the first week, the scan would be to measure the baby's heartbeat. Then the following week would be to measure the baby's birth, like the baby's weight. And so I was having my scan every week. And so I went on the Thursday, which was April the 19th. And I was went in for the scan and the ultrasonographer, I always get that word mumbled, she's sitting there with the scan and the gel and going around and around in my tummy. And I looked at the screen and I thought, that doesn't look like it did last week. That picture looks different. And I said to her, what are you doing? And I said, you're looking for a heartbeat, aren't you? And she said, oh, I'm still checking. I said, stop, just stop checking. I said, because I know what you're doing. It's, there's no heartbeat. So she got a second opinion. Another lady came in and she said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. And I said, I was a bit in shock so I didn't cry because I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Then the next night we had to give birth. I had to give birth. So they took me down to the um, ward where they give birth, but they put me in a room that's very cold. There's no colours. There's no other women. There's absolutely nothing. You're just in a cold room. 
because you're giving birth to a stillborn baby and you can't be around other women that are giving birth because you might hear the baby cry and that will upset you. So I'm just shoved off to a corner and asked to give birth on my own. So that's what happened the next day. We gave birth. Um, in the room was just my husband and the midwife was coming in and out of the room. So we gave birth and he was absolutely beautiful. There was no crying. There was no noise. The room was just silent. And the only person you could hear cry was me. And I don't wish this on anyone because this shouldn't ever happen to any woman, ever. It's probably the most, it is the most difficult thing in my life because you hear about it, but you never think it's gonna happen to you ever. So I gave birth, the midwife took him away because I had problems taking the cord that was attached to my placenta, they were having problems pulling that out because it was, the cord was falling apart and it was crumbling. And then she, we managed to get the placenta out and then she wrapped our son in a blanket and gave him to me and I put him on my chest and I just begged for him to wake up. And I asked him several times, I said, please wake up, because if you do, mummy's going to look after you. But he didn't. So you just get to a point where you have to face what's happened. And from somewhere, I don't know from where, you just find the strength. And you don't deal with it because you can't. You just, you change. And a lot of people said to me, oh, Pat, you've changed. And I say, no, I haven't. I'm just the not Pat. I'm just not the Pat that you knew. I've replaced her. That's what I say. So I can talk about him now. I was a mess. And, you know, you try for so long and you think everything is going so perfect. And then this happens and you think your whole world just crushes and you just become, you, you just crumble. You don't have a choice. You just crumble. And then you've got so many people around you that you don't want to worry because you think of their health. And I was thinking of the health of my parents. So I had to pick myself up. I had to be strong for everyone. I had to be strong for my husband. I had to be strong for my parents. And I just thought, you know what? Get up and face this on your own. Face it head on. And whatever you've got to do, just get up and just do it. The sun will shine tomorrow and it's another day. So, okay, we've had a loss, but we're going to deal with this. And that's what we did. We talk about him. My, his godmother, Lydia, which is the love of my life, this woman has done everything for me. She still buys him presents. It's Easter and she's still buying him things because I don't want his memory to ever vanish. He's a part of our home. There is something in every room of the house that represents him. And it's so important for us to keep his memory alive. And I think when, I don't think, I know, when we have a child, I'm going to teach our child or let our child know that you did have a brother and I want him to, to, to know, I want him to know him, his memory and show him photos and that's really important to me. So, um, and when we do have our child, like I had plans with our son, Treasure, and I'll explain to you how his name came to that, um, we would definitely, definitely, our child will know and have complete knowledge about how they were conceived and how they were born, because that to me is very important, very important. We had counselling with egg donation, and so you discuss this in counselling, that how important it is to make the child aware how they came to, how they were conceived, how they were born. Um, and I personally, I think the child has a right to know. So after all of that, and 
seeing our specialist, going back a few months later and sitting down with him, and he read the report that we had with, um, they did the autopsy report, and I had many complications. I had uh, preeclampsia, high blood pressure, um, gestational diabetes, my legs don't function, um, I can't stand and transfer off my wheelchair anymore, and so my body's just given up and other stuff that I can't, I wouldn't be able to hold a child again and give birth, um, get pregnant again. So my fertility specialist said to me, it's for you to have a child, to have a family, you need to find a surrogate. So I need a healthy woman that can help us bake our baby. Um, I've never actually mentioned this on the, on the surrogacy um, website on Facebook, on Surrogacy Australia, but we actually refer to our surrogate as Millet. That's what we call her because we need someone to help us bake our baby. And Millet is the best top of the range oven you can get. But I shouldn't say that too loud because if Smeg hears me, which is the oven in my kitchen, she'll get pissed off. So we need our Millet to help us bake our baby. That's what's brought me to the surrogacy group. Uh, we need someone to help us have a family. And I hope, I hope somebody finds us and wants to help us have a family together. Um, we are open to a surrogate being anywhere in Australia. We love traveling. In 2006, I went to New Zealand with my colleagues at Optus and we had, it was about a seven night stay in Queenstown. It was the best holiday I've had because I love the snow. I could walk then, I was skiing, I did everything. And it was just fantastic. We walk on really high mountains and we absolutely loved it. So after Queenstown, I then met my husband in Auckland and we stayed in Auckland for 10 days. So I flew to Auckland by myself, drove to the hotel by myself, <clears throat> and then drove back to the airport the next day to pick him up. And it was like I was in Melbourne. Auckland reminds me so much of Melbourne. Everything is just, that's why we love Melbourne. It's like my, our home away from home. We love to travel, but when we travel, I need to make sure that everything is there for me and I have access for my health. So Melbourne is easy because everything is set up. We stay at the Crown Towers. Our host, which works for the Crown Towers management, Henry, he just, we're on, we've become like almost family friends. So he books the room for me. Um, he comes and visits us when we go there. We catch up for coffee when we go there. So what they do is they provide me a room. They move the furniture around to suit me with my wheelchair and my lifter. And they just, they accommodate me for every need I have. And so Melbourne is just I feel safe being there. And if I choose to go to Sydney, we do the same thing. Um, and you just need to speak to the hotel and hotels can be very accommodating. You just explain to them what you need and everyone is very helpful. So if we found a surrogate that's interstate, it would be, I don't like to say difficult because anything that is difficult, I try and overcome it. So I try and make the best out of every situation. So I may not be able to physically walk or wheel myself into your house because my wheelchair may not fit through your front door. But you know what, let's meet up at a place that's between my house and your house and we can have coffee or we can have dinner or I'll take you out to dinner or I'll take you for a lunch date or let me choose a place where I can feel that it's safe for me to meet you somewhere and it's convenient for you to meet me somewhere. And so I make the best out of every situation possible. So if I did meet a surrogate or if we, if we found a surrogate that's interstate, my only it's not an issue or a problem, like I said, because I would find a way to fix it. So if you need help with your children, I would pay for someone to babysit for you if that's what you needed. I would organise meals to be delivered to you if that's what you needed. So everything my legs can't do, my hands and a phone call will fix everything because that's what I do here.
I have help from everywhere. If I don't have the help, I organise the help and I get things done. I get everything done. I'm never left without. And my surrogate, our surrogate, will never go without. Um, not to show off, but she'll probably be the luckiest surrogate in Australia. That's our journey. When the time comes and we find a surrogate, it's probably, I'll probably faint and fall over, but um, you know, that's what I think, not I think, I know everyone, everybody on, uh, on this, on Australia, Surrogacy Australia, we all want the same dream. We all want to pair up with a surrogate, have our families and everyone just to be happy and create wonderful relationships. I've made some beautiful relationships through this whole journey, through Egg Donation Australia. I have met some donors, I've met recipients, I've met women that were previous surrogates and I've made long-term friendships with a lot of them. A lot of them have been to my house. I've, we've gone out to dinner, we've gone for coffee we've, and it's, the friendships have been amazing. So I just encourage everyone, like I said, don't give up. Just don't give up. You know, there's, we have days that are shit. We have bad days. Like a lot of us have days where you think, today's just a real shit day, like a shit day. But you know what? Your shit days is somebody else's good days. That's what I think every day. When I'm having a bad day, I just think, you know what, be thankful because your bad day, Pat, is somebody else's fabulous good day. And there's always someone worse off than me. So getting back to knowing a bit about us, um, as I said, we're from Adelaide. My husband is in the medical sector. I did work for Optus, but I stopped work because I wanted to have a family. And then really I had to look after my health. So I became a, I don't know, am I classified as a homemaker? I'm not sure. But I cook and clean and I love cooking. I love cooking um, and I love cleaning my home and I love having friends over, love going out to dinner. As much as I love cooking, that's how much I love going out to dinner and having somebody else cook for me. We have four embryos left on ice waiting wearing their little snee ski outfits on ice and waiting for mummy and daddy to hold them. And I have spoken to our donor, Denise, and explained to her once we choose a surrogate, you know, if would you be willing to donate again? And she didn't have a problem with that at all. So I'm very, I'm very thankful and I'm so lucky that I know I have a donor that can help me or that can help us create our family because I'd really like to have a matching sibling for, my, for our son. And so we've got four embryos waiting that are... Um, that can um, we can use. Um, my f uh, explain yeah. My favourite holiday was New Zealand. That's why we love Melbourne because it's very similar to New Zealand. My favourite childhood movie would probably be definitely Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but the old version. I don't know how many times I've watched it. Maybe thirty throughout my lifetime. And every time I watch it, I pick up something and I think, oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't get that on the last time I watched it. So every time I watch it, I forget, I pick up a little thing that I've missed in the previous time I've watched the movie. Adult hold movie, hands down Scarface. I'm a huge Apacino fan. I just adore him. I love him. Um, how could you find me? You can find me or add me on Facebook, on Australian Surrogacy Community. I'm Pat Nola A. Carter. And on Instagram, I'm Parthena Royal. My name, my actual real name is Parthena, which in Greek is Parthena. So I'm Greek. So when I was little, everyone called you Parthenula, like a little girl, like, hi, Parthenula. And that's how Nula came to. So growing up, I changed it to Pat instead of Parthena. I was not embarrassed by my name because Parthena in Greek, or Parthena in Greek means virgin. So my cousins are like, you can't go to school and call yourself virgin. Like, you're going to have to change it just to Pat. And that's how, and it just stuck with Pat. But then when friends found out that my name was Parthena, a lot of my Australian friends just call me Parthena. A lot of people call me Pat. A lot of people call me Nola. So when I went onto Instagram, I thought, I'll just go Parthena 71, taken. I'll just go Parthena 1971, taken. Let me try underscore 71, taken. So I thought, um, okay, so one of my nicknames is Diana. 
because I'm obsessed with the royal family. And I just adored Diana. I actually met her when she came to South Australia many years ago in children's hospital. Um, so that's why I, I thought, oh, royal. I'll just say, I'll just type in Parthena Royal. No one had it, so that's how I got Parthena Royal. So you can add me on Instagram or follow me on Instagram. Uh, you'll probably just see me cooking because I love cooking recipes, and every time I cook, I put stuff on there. Or if there's something beautiful, I'll add it on there. Or if I think this is great to share, I'll add it. I'm not much on Instagram, but now that we're in this crisis with this madness, what's happening around the world with this coronavirus and you know, staying home, keeping safe. Um, I'm just on social media a lot more. And I think it's fantastic because we're interacting and we're keeping um, active. We're not, we're, even though we're not seeing each other, we're still connecting, we're not disconnecting. So we constantly, with family and friends, we, about twice a week we have a Zoom where there's about nine of us, 10 of us, and everyone's like screaming and yelling and talks over each other. But I think, yeah, that's a typical Greek family. Um, so it's really great that even though everyone is interstate, spread around Australia, we can still have that contact with one another. Um, and I just think it's wonderful. I love having the Zoom contacts with the surrogacy group and hopefully we're having another one this Friday and Saturday night. Um, so that's a bit about me. And what else can I say? Um, we're hoping to find our surrogate and you can message me anytime talk about anything. You can be an IP, you can be a surrogate. Honestly, I can, I'm, I, I'm open to help anyone, any questions you may have. Um, just, I try to remain as positive as I can, be as honest as I can. And it's just any, any, uh, intending parent listening to this, be yourself. Don't, don't try and hopefully think, I wonder if I'll do this, if they'll like me better, or I wonder if I act like this, they might pick me or because in the end, whoever you are, that's what your donor or your surrogate is going to love about you. The person that you are, just be truth to yourself and keep positive And you don't know this, this could happen before you know it. Um, like I mentioned, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, we had a, oh no, it was last week. We had a zoom, a group video chat. And I said, do you know what? It's like the surrogates, have their full license and the intending parents we've got our learners we sort of don't know what we we know what we're doing but we sort of think oh let me try this and let's try this and then along comes a surrogate she knows what she's doing she's been there before she's had a baby before she's given birth before she's carried a baby before and she knows what she's doing so she just needs to grab hold of our hand walk with us and share our journey and just teach us how to slowly get to the position that she is and one day we'll have our full license as well. But um, I just wish everyone to keep safe in this sea of madness we have at the moment. Things will get better. They're getting better every day. Stay home, stay safe and much love to you all. Thank you for listening. And I hope I get a chance to do another podcast soon. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you are looking for more information, you can find it on the blog. Listen to more podcast episodes at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at sarah at sarahjefford.com.